This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is Trey. Thank you for joining us for a Tuesdays with Trey. We're grateful that you would join us. I want to start with something happy. I want to thank everyone who read or listened to or will eventually read or listen to um, a new book uh, or have plans to do so. Part of the book is learning how to define success uh, on your own terms. And success for me, at least at this point in life, is writing an honest book. And what happens after that is out of my control. So I wrote it to help people. How many folks read it? How many people listen to it? That is something a younger Trey would have probably would have judged success that way. The older Trey. I did the best I could. And I got a phone call on a Saturday afternoon before the book came out from Someone whose opinion I value and respect very much, uh, Dana Perino. No, no cameras, no, nobody else around. She just called to say that she liked it. And that was, at this point in life, enough for me. So I want to say thank you. I also want to kind of let you in on a secret. When you go on a book tour, uh, your kind of entrance fee, if you will, uh, to talk about what you've done, uh, is the news of the day. And you can get lucky on what the news of the day is. And when I say lucky, um, I mean a topic that you actually know something about. Or you can get uh, caught up in the uh, news of the day on something that has nothing to do with your book. I think about my friend Tim Scott, who when his book came out, it coincided with the uh, search of former President Trump's uh, property at Mar-a-Lago. And, uh, you know, Tim would have been uh, much more comfortable, I think, talking about the economy and taxation, foreign policy, health care. Uh, Tim's not real familiar with search warrants. He's, he's never he's never had one executed on his home. I got lucky. I got lucky because the topics the week that I was out talking about my book were topics that I had some familiarity with. It was another murder case, uh, another chance for us to take a look at the criminal justice system this time uh, in South Carolina, where Alex Murdoch is accused of killing his wife and son. I don't I don't know if you've watched any of the trial, uh, but so far it has progressed like most murder cases progress. Uh, I just want to add a couple of points for you to maybe reflect on if you are even tangentially following that or, frankly, any of the cases to come um, are culture is violent. There are uh, murder cases. Uh, five police officers have been charged with second degree murder in Tennessee. There are other murder cases. There's obviously Idaho. There are mass killings in California. 
it's above my pay grade to know why our culture is uh, fascinated with crime, but it is. So you're going to have a chance to follow the Murdoch murder case and other murder cases. And I just want to give you a couple of things that maybe may, may help you if you don't you don't have a background in that. The purpose of opening statement is, yes, to lay out for the jury what to expect. But mainly, mainly the purpose of opening statement, at least in my opinion, it always was to build some kind of relationship with the jury, for the jury to find you credible, uh, believable, reliable. You do need to give them a preview of what you think will happen. But mainly, you need to set yourself up to come back at the end. And based on the fairness that you talked about in your opening statement, the attention to detail, the listening to the witnesses, the examining the exhibits, then, then you ask for a verdict. You ask for the verdict that the evidence demands. So I never asked for a guilty verdict in opening statement. I, it just made no sense to me to do that. The judge has already told the jury the defendant is presumed innocent. There has been no evidence admitted yet. The defendant remains innocent because there has been no evidence. The judge is also going to tell the jury that you can't even begin to make up your mind until the last witness has been called. And the last, I actually, you can't even begin to make up your mind until after jury instructions have been given at the very end of the trial. That may be in a week. It may be in a month. So why in the world would you stand up an opening statement? And tell the jury, I'm going to stand back in front of you in a week or a month or who knows when and ask you to find the defendant guilty. I never did it. I'm in the minority. I, I see most prosecutors do it. I never did it. I just said, I'm asking you to be fair. Pay attention. Consider the testimony and the witnesses. And that's all I can ask you to do. Speaking of witnesses, the responding officer was the first witness called in the Murdoch trial. And that and that makes sense. That's, that's a chronological approach to prosecuting a murder case. And I've certainly done it that way before. Um, I was thinking, though, maybe maybe there was another way to do it. I don't want to say a better way, but maybe there was another way to do it in this case. Maybe the way to start start the Murdoch murder trial was to begin the day as, Maz as Mag Maggie Murdoch or, or Paul Murdoch. You wake up, it's like any other day. I'll bet they spent not one second wondering, is this going to be the last day of my life? Is the man that stood in front of God and a church full of people and promised to protect and love and defend me until death do us part, is he going to shoot me in the head with a rifle or a shotgun or a son? I wonder if Paul Murdoch woke up that morning and would have even entertained the remotest possibility that his father would shoot him in the head. That's another way to start it is not through the eyes of the defendant, but through the eyes of the victim. Last day on earth, I'll guarantee you neither one of them at any point in the day until right before the gun was presented, neither one of them ever thought this is going to be 
the last day of my life. But alas, that is not how the trial began. It began chronologically. So they called the responding officer. And the responding officer, just so you know, in a homicide case, is typically a uniform patrol. You know, you call 911, you report something, either someone is deceased or they're injured. You get a uniform patrol. I mean, the the police officers that we see that write speeding tickets that respond to noises in the backyard. I say a uniform patrol. The officer is in uniform. They're not in plain clothes. Typically, they're in a marked car. They're not in an unmarked car. And that's the responding officer. Now, I think the prosecutors in the Murdoch case were lucky. The responding officer had some rank. This was not his first crime scene. However, however, the responding officer is not the tire mark expert. The responding officer is not the fingerprint expert. The responding officer is not the DNA expert or the ballistics expert or the firearms expert. He is or she is the responding officer. So if you ever doubted it, you should not doubt it anymore after having watched the cross-examination trials, murder trials, any kind of trial. is really two trials in one. The prosecution is trying to elicit from the witnesses what happened, what they saw, what they heard, what they smelled, what they experienced. And the defense is trying to elicit or show what the police or the witnesses failed to see, failed to hear, failed to do, failed to witness. We'll be right back with more of the Trey Gowdy podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So half of it is what the cops did. The other half is what the cops did not do. And good prosecutors explain that to the jury ahead of time. Good cops explain that every cop, I mean, good prosecutors explain that every cop does not have the same job. So the fact that a cop didn't take shoe impressions or tire mark impressions or do a test for the presence of blood doesn't mean it wasn't important. It doesn't mean the cop wasn't doing his or her job. It means someone with more training and more education and more expertise and more experience is coming. It's the same reason you do not go to the dentist when you have heart palpitations. It is the same reason you don't go to the cardiologist when you need a cavity filled. Different cops do different things. And the jury needs to know that up front so the cop is not sitting there with the jury wondering, well, why didn't you do this and why didn't you do that? So for this and every other, let's let's be patient. Let's be patient. Let's wait and see if the police and the crime scene specialist and the lab experts at SLED, which is the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, let's see if they ultimately wound up doing everything you would expect them to do. Let's don't ask whether they did everything that some defense attorney is going to ask them about 
all through the responding officer and the first 10 or 15 minutes on the crime scene. And then we hear about motive. What was Alex Murdoch's motive? And you know, he shot his wife and son in the head. I will not describe in graphic detail, but you can imagine what happens when a high-powered cartridge or projectile from a high-powered firearm hits someone's head. You can imagine what that scene looked like. And so everyone wants to know the motive. And it was the same last week, and 10 people were killed in Monterey Park, California, and it was the same in Idaho. People want to know why. That's the question in almost all murder cases. Why did the killer do it? Why did Alex Murdoch kill his wife and son? Why did the killer target the victim? Why did the shooter kill people who were simply celebrating the Lunar New Year in California? Why did someone break into a home and stab four college students to death? The survivors want to know why me, survivors of violent crime, those that live, that survive the encounter, they want to know why me. And sometimes that is a life prison sentence for them. Why me? Family and friends of homicide victims want to know why my loved one. I mean, the first question is who, but then almost immediately it's why. And so I would caution you as someone who asked the question why, arguably more than anyone else you know, be careful asking that question because sometimes it can leave you even more confused and heartbroken than if you never ask. We call it motive. I mean, that's the word we use, motive. Rarely, if ever, does motive have to be proven in court. The prosecutors in the Alex Murdoch double homicide case do not have to prove why they think he killed Maggie and Paul Murdoch. They don't have to prove that. It's not an element of the offense. It's not an element of murder. But that's what the jury and the public want to know. Motive is defined as a reason for doing something. And human nature wants to know a reason. But we have to be careful, especially discussing motive, because there really is no reason or rationale or explanation for acts of depravity. Reasonable people would never, ever hurt an innocent person most reasonable people would literally wait until their life was in jeopardy to ever consider hurting another person. It would be an extreme act of self-defense. So we're always going to struggle to understand the motives of those who seemingly with impunity commit acts of depravity. And yet here we are trying to understand the motive for the actions of people who do not think or feel or act like the rest of us. Rational people trying to process an irrational motivation. It is hard, if not impossible. I mean, if we really stopped and thought about it, if we really just said, well, I'm not going to do what everybody on television does. I'm not going to constantly be asking why. If we really stopped and thought, okay, is that even a legitimate question? Is that even something I should be asking? If you really stopped and thought about it, what could possibly explain killing four college students in their sleep because one of them did not respond to some private message on social media? Does that help explain it? Is that when we go, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense now. I get it now. I get it now. No, it doesn't explain anything. What could possibly explain shooting up in elementary school? What possible motivation could explain that? What possible motivation could ever, ever, ever explain hurting a child?
randomly shooting strangers in a public place. Sometimes the only explanation is depravity. It's malice. It's a conscious disregard for life. And there's never a reason for doing that. And I used to listen as defense attorneys would tell the jury that their client killed someone because their client, the defendant, was the victim of abuse or neglect. I mean, we still hear that. Well, this person was abused or they were neglected. That may well be true. It may well be true. And I hate that. I hate that. No child should ever, ever experience that or grow up with that. But the killer didn't kill the person who abused or neglected him. The killer killed a stranger working in a store, a stranger waiting on a bus, a stranger out for a jog. I mean, we ask why, because we cannot process the senseless killing of innocent people. But the why often leaves us with just as many questions. It's fair to ask if the cops did a good job. That's what all trials are about. But what's really fair is to wait and conclude that in due time and due course. You can't ask the responding officer to do DNA analysis. I mean, that's done in another place hundreds of miles away by people who went to school and are trained exclusively in doing that. They used to say that trials were a joint pursuit of the truth. Don't believe that for a second. The job of the defense attorney is to create doubt, not to find the truth. And good prosecutors anticipate the jury's questions. And one more thing on motive. If you're searching for one, in this case or any other case, often you are going to be left completely unsatisfied. A good friend of mine, a former colleague of mine, he's now in the South Carolina Senate, prosecuted a man for driving to his estranged wife's house, parking outside, ringing the doorbell, and setting a car on fire. The car had a child inside. You can search for a motive all you want. You will never find an explanation or rationale, or motive for that. It's just evil. And it's best if we just leave it there. I'll see you next week. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.